The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Welcome back to Stories from the Sideline. We're here at Episode 6. My name's Coach Larry. With me, as always, is my co-host, co-pilot, Matt. Yes, sir. Matt, how we doing today? Feeling fantastic. All right. Matt's coming off of a tough leg day workout, so he's feeling a little sore. You know it. All right. And with us today, our guest, uh, Michael Schrader. Michael, how we doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. All right. Now, Michael, you're from Westside uh, West Rowing. Yes, I am. Uh, you've also rowed for Marietta, in Marietta of Ohio yeah, for college. Ohio. Yep. Um, and you rowed all four years there? All four years, yep. Perfect. And then yep. you've been doing rowing for 10, ten years. years. Yes, the awesome. past 10 years. Um, now, what got you into rowing? Um, so, on, on accident, I started rowing, actually. Um, my, I'm just going to tell the story again, but um, Matt heard this earlier. I... Uh, one of our mutual friends, his name's Jack, he he was rowing before me, and I stayed over at his house one night. It was a Friday to a Saturday, and he woke me up Saturday morning, and he said, hey, man, like, I forgot I had practice. You could either stay here or you could come with, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll come with, and I came with. I wore his dad's clothes. It was the middle of winter, so we didn't even get out on the water, and um, it was just indoor stuff, and I was like, this is awesome, and I just kept coming back. Just kind of hooked from it. the first practice. Oh, yeah, first one got me. I love it. Now, I'm guessing indoor training is more just like on, on the erg machine. Yeah, on the rowing machines. Um, we have these things at Westside called tanks, and they, um, they're they supposed to mimic the water and stuff like that. So we have like actual oars and seats that move back and forth that mimic um, like they do in the boats. And oh, really? they have oars that go out in giant tanks of water, and you can row inside through water to kind of get the, uh, the technique of like boat feel and stuff like that down during the winter when you can't actually go out. Oh, that's awesome. Now, yeah. how, how closely does it mimic it? Like, do you notice? Um, yeah, so you can use them. The The only thing that it doesn't mimic, obviously, is, like, weather conditions and, um, like, current and stuff like that, current in the water. But the main purpose of tanks is technique to get down the, uh, like, the physical body movements um, when it comes to rowing on water as, to, as opposed to rowing on an erg, where an erg is just kind of straightforward, where water has more, more finesse to it than it does on an erg. That's awesome. Now, is it is it used primarily for beginner rowers, or do experienced rowers and veteran rowers still get a good workout from it as well? Um, I would say it kind of switches, actually. So for beginners, it can also be more of a workout, and it, it benefits them a lot because they're just kind of drilling it. But when it comes to, um, I know, like in the collegiate level and then on, they still utilize a tank room, but it might not necessarily be for like a fitness. It might just be to kind of nitpick the little things in their technique and their rowing. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I could see it being used, especially in the beginning of the season, maybe to knock a little bit of the rust yeah, off. Yeah, get some of the cobwebs off. Yeah. That's awesome. I never thought, I know they had the erg machines. I, uh, one of my girls who played soccer, she was a big time rower. Yeah. Um, she actually, I believe she did West Side Rowing, uh, Sarah Jancola. I don't know if. Uh, I might have. Uh, um, yeah. I know she rowed a little bit in, uh, rowed a little bit in college. Um, but she would uh, tell me a lot about the erg machines, and I know her cardiovascular was off the charts. Yeah, that's all we do. Yeah, that's we. For someone who does something like rowing that is so cardiovascular, that I I, I hate running to this day. I, I hate running, but it is so beneficial when it comes to rowing because like you can have the strongest people that can bench like 250, like it's nobody's business. But you get them on a water, and if they row like crap, like if they they're just 
terrible on the water, a, a lightweight boat can beat them if they just row better. So and like have that kind of cardiovascular fitness over more of a bodybuilding kind of fitness. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, now I'm guessing you, you said you do a lot of running on the erg machines. Um, what are some other techniques you guys do? Is it is uh, when you can't get on the water? Is it uh, more hitting the treadmill, more bikes? Bikes. Or? We have a lot of bikes. Bikes are huge. Um, actually, so it's funny because um, in college, my college coach hated lifting. Like he never wanted us to lift. He said if if you have to get if like if you want to get extra work in, like you can lift if you want, but I'd rather have you just sit on an erg. And just get, you don't have to go hard. Just sit on an erg, maybe set it for ten thousand meters, and just go. And that's what that's kind of what he wanted us to do. So he was and, more of just drilling the cardio. Yeah, yeah. Into you kind guys. of drill the cardio, drill the technique, um, get that kind of mindset in, and you could hit the weights if you want. But he'd prefer us to do the cardio stuff. Yeah. Really? Now I'm guessing you've had a lot of coaches throughout the year. I've had a bunch. Yes. What um, did you find that strategy more effective for you, or did you find more of doing the overall workouts, doing the lifting, doing the cardio, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, helped better? Um, getting in the cardio, like my one coach at college, just erging twenty four seven, just whenever you can, hop on an erg, get a few meters in, go for a half hour, go for an hour. It is insanely beneficial when it comes to rowing. Like I've seen guys, I've seen walk ons. Uh, maybe not the build for rowing, but they would shave 30, 40 seconds off their time just by hitting an erg every few days. Really? Yeah, yeah on top of practice, yeah. That's they would, awesome. Yeah, the, the gains that you see just hitting an erg is insane, yeah. That's fantastic. Um, and I'm guessing you're on those, you're probably on those more than you're on the water. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, you get out on the water when you can because obviously that's where the where the magic happens. You know, like that's that's why people come to see. You don't really come to rowing or like erging regattas. You come to see them on the water. So any chance we get, we try to get out on the water. But for those few days where you can't or like in college, we had two practices a day. So we would like maybe erg in the morning and then go out on the water in the afternoon and have like our coach would kind of dr- like drill us and nail us on the erg. And then when we get out on the water, we can... Um, he kind of is more steady state kind of distance technique stuff. Okay. Yeah. Now, when you do get on the water, like I know for, for track and field, um, I coach a lot of the throwers, but I also coach distance and sprinters. I know there's times for uh, distance, we'll just tell them, hey, listen, go on a five-mile run, go yeah. on a run. Other times, we'll have them do a bit of a sprinter workout or more of a mid-distance oh, yeah. workout. Um, is it kind of the same as rowing, or is it more of... It, more of just sprints, more long um, distance. Yeah, it is. It is the same um, where we do kind of a healthy mix of both. But um, the fall season compared to every other season in rowing is different. The fall season is um, what we call head races, which are much longer than normal races. So, like an Olympic race that you'd see, those are two thousand meters. But in the fall race, um, they're five thousand. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so in the fall, you see teams and rowers start focusing more on that like long distance kind of. Um, cardiovascular work and then in the spring you'd see more of the short distance sprinting kind of getting to speed and maintaining that speed rather than playing it smart knowing where you are kind of that you'd see in the fall that's awesome yeah now with rowing i know there's different uh different sizes crews like tell us a little bit about the different events the different um, sure. size boats that, they, that you guys have yeah, sure all right i'm gonna try not to go on a tangent because i could talk about rowing all day listen um, go on a tangent because <laughs> yeah. i'm literally trying to know everything i can about sure, rowing i yeah. mean i i'm i know very very little <laughs> sure yeah yeah so, so um explain to us the uh oh, what I can't remember what my coach called them, but he would always say people come to see rowing for the eight. So, like, the eight is the most important. It's eight men. And, well, I wouldn't say most important, but it's the one people come and see most, you know. And if, like, if you're on a team, you're shooting to be in the top eight, you know. But um, so you have 
a typical eight is eight rowers, four ports, four starboards, and um, a person, a coxswain in the front. And the, the coxswain doesn't have an oar. They don't really do much for boat speed, per se, but they, um, in like head races, they're the ones steering. They have two little ropes that control the rudder on the bottom of the boat, and they can steer the boat. Oh, they um, actually steer. I yeah, thought yeah, they, they would actually steer. See, this is how ignorant I am. I thought they just did more of like no, the cadence. Yeah. No, well, yeah. So actually, steering is one of the main like jobs of a coxswain, okay. um, especially in head races, because there isn't a body of water that's calm enough to row on and five thousand meters long. So um, head races in the fall, it's very winding, um, like very winding courses. So coxswains need to be able to control a boat, but um, they also do cadence. Um, they don't sit there and just go row 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 over and over again but they'll have actually a microphone attached to a little headband that they wear that plugs into the boat and there's a speaker system throughout a boat and like when the coxswain like make a call um they're more like a they're more strategy rather than actual um cadence so like if we're off the line and my boat's up my coxswain will call maybe like a power 10 which is just like 10 strokes if everyone does them together put a little bit more on it put maybe like 10 percent more on it and try to pull away from the team or she'll see a boat walking on us and she'll say like there's a boat coming on us like let's make a move here this is when we do it and make sure everyone does it at the same time the same way to make sure you utilize that push forward coxswains are really cool i could talk about coxswains all day that's but, fantastic um, yeah coxswains are awesome but now, they're usually they're usually the smallest person yeah, in the boat right? yeah because because, like I said, they're not like they don't have an oar. They're not picking up their own body weight. So coxswains are quite literally just dead weight in a boat. Um, so you want them to be smaller and lighter. And they have like a little seat that they have to sit in. So if they're tall, that really doesn't work out too well. Like my coxswain at Westside is pretty tall. He's, I think he's just under six foot, but he's a light guy. Um, 120, 125, I think, is usually what coxswains weigh in at. So then I'm guessing now, so they still do the workouts with you guys, right? Um, not all or the time. Not... If you have a cool coxswain, maybe they'll go on a run with you. Oh, but, really? Yeah, but uh, when we're like erging or something like that, they'll be walking behind us, um, keeping, they keep track of the numbers. They're like the numbers guys on land for the coaches. Okay. So like if we do like a race on the erg, they'd know who came in first, who came in second. They'd put all of it in a spreadsheet and then just give it to the coach. Oh, so they're almost like the they're punter. Coaches. They're almost like the punter or the field goal kicker. Yeah, yeah, the football pretty team. Much. yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, yeah, the coxswains are great. Um, but anyway, back well, to the. Uh, or the goaltender on a goal on a soccer team. What is that yeah, supposed to be? <laughs> exactly. I got a little <laughs> I got a little rile up there from Matt. Oh, that's all good. Um but yeah, so that's an eight. Um the eight's your basic, that's the one everyone goes to. And then under an eight you have a four, which is the same thing. Two ports, two starboards, and a coxswain. Um just four people in the boat. And then you also have what's called a straight four, which is two ports, two starboards, but without a coxswain. And um the bow seat takes on the coxswain responsibilities so they're the ones that make the calls throughout the races bow seat's the last person or first person i guess because they're sitting behind you so um they'll also have this thing called a toe where the rudder under the boat will be attached to their right foot and if they want to go right they point their toe to the right if they want to go left they point their toe to the left and that's how they steer the boat so straight fours are a ton of fun um they're crazy fast because you don't have that dead weight of a coxswain in it but um and then we have a quad, which is sculled, so um, opposed to sweeping when you have one oar. Um, sculling is when you have two, so like singles and stuff like that. Those are sculled. You have one oar in each hand. Um, more, more of like a rowboat type of deal. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um, and so a quad is sculled with four people and no coxswain. And then you have a pair, which is two people with one oar each. And then you have a double, which is two people with two oars each and a single. 
Very cool. Those are all the boats. Now I'm guessing with the eight, that's more of the longer distance, as with the shorter boats, uh, it's more of the sprints. Distance is the same for every event. It's really? Always, yeah, it's always 2,000 meters, or it's always 5,000 meters. Sometimes you'll have like fun like charity event sprints, where it'll be like... 500 meters and those are just kind of like for fun you raise money for them but it's always either 2,000 meters or 5,000 meters oh I didn't know that I figured it was more of you know the bigger boats were the longer distance nope oh that's awesome okay I did not know that good um, and then you've also started you started coaching at Westside. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I've been coaching their crew camp over the summers for the past, like, four years, and I've been volunteering at them before that. Um, but the crew camp's great. It's a learn-to-row, so with, I believe it's, like, 11 to 14, I think, of the ages, maybe 10 to 14. Um, it's, like, middle school type, just kids. It's three weeks long out of the summer, and they just show up every day, once a day. That's all. Now, is it more of um, for kids just getting into rowing? Yeah, so it's like we're expecting you to have zero rowing experience whatsoever. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, like, we get a lot of kids whose, like, older siblings row or, like, parents who have heard of it and they just, like, want to give their kid the opportunity or something like that. Um, And then we have, like, more competitive teams, obviously, but um, which is what I'm starting to coach coming this fall. That's fantastic. Now, I know with... um, with some sports like hockey, you know, you're getting the kids on the ice as early as like four or five years old. Yeah. Soccer, I know you're typically starting like, you know, six, seven, eight. Is there like um, an age where, uh, you know, you're, you're, I don't want to say child should start rowing, but yeah. is there like a, an average age of when they just start kicking it off? Um, I'd say around that like 10 to like 12 era is probably like the best to start um i mean you could start them whenever you just you gotta you have to worry about the the water aspect because we sit like maybe four inches off the water and there's maybe like an inch of gunnel on either side of us so it's i wouldn't say it's easy to fall in like i've never fallen in but um it can happen i've seen it happen so um you just have to make sure you're either a strong swimmer or you wear a life jacket if you are trying to start your kid that young but i would say when it comes to like being able to grasp the concept and to be able to like trust to be in a boat i'd say around that like 10 to 12 era swim okay. start. Yeah. now that's another thing you're that you brought up with falling in the water i yeah. mean you never want a boat no. obviously to fall in the water but um is that something that it's like a requirement that a kid at least knows yeah. how to swim? So at Westside, and every school does this, um, every school, every club, every team does this, it's a swim test. And you have to swim two laps in a pool and then tread water for 10 minutes. Okay. And um, at Westside, with the kids like our crew campers that we do, if they uh, if they pass the swim test, like, good on you, you pass the swim test. Um, if you don't, you could still go out on the water, but you have to wear a life jacket. So, um, but like I had to do my, my swim test when I got to college, I had to do a swim test in high school. You always, you're always doing swim tests. Oh, so anytime you're new to a crew, new to a team, you have to do that swim test. Yep. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, now do you guys do a lot of training in the water? Like, uh, as swimming part of your, part of your conditioning or not really? Not really. The only way we do it is if it's like a weird cross training kind of day. Like a few years ago on my birthday, my college coach made us do a triathlon and swimming was part of it. So, um, that's the only time we'd really swim. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know because I know swimming is a great another great, great, yeah. great total body swimming workout and being on the water. Um, but that's that's I'm not gonna lie, that's the most I've ever learned really? about rowing. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, it's a I, cool I, sport. And even in the you know with the past Olympics, I it's I always love watching it. Oh, it's yeah. very cool to watch. But um, I'll be watching it with my wife, and she'll ask, "Well, what's that?" I'm like, I don't know. Oh, yeah. It's and, cool to be down there in it too, and like 
we always joke that rowing isn't a spectating sport, but like after you do it and you watch it, it's probably like with every sport. But after doing it and knowing what's going on and knowing what you're seeing on the TV, like it, it's so much fun to watch. Yeah. Now, is it one thing too, like swimming, where you can be on a uh, an eight person boat and then later in the afternoon maybe do yeah. like a two or like you're doing multiple events? Yeah, yeah, you could totally do that. It also depends on um, the race, like the big title events for like colleges, like uh, Dadvales or IRA, where like the two big one of the two of the very few big races in college but um you can uh like at henley which is like the biggest race in i I believe north america it's a week long it goes monday to sunday and um it's up in st Catharines, canada and teams from all over the world come here and since you're racing all week like it's from five o'clock in the morning to five o'clock in the afternoon racing all day just different events different categories and like rowing at west side our coach makes it like a it makes a point of it to get us in as many events as he can. So usually they didn't have Henley this year because of COVID. But um, usually when we go to Henley, like for example, my own personal experience there, I've raced like the eight, I've raced a straight four, um, I've raced two pairs. Like you can enter in as many times as you want for races like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Now I know for track and field they have heats. Yeah, is it kind of like that for rowing where yeah. you, you've got the quarterfinal, semi, whatever? Yeah, it is? pretty much. Um, Sometimes if you go to, like, a small regatta, it would just be, like, a straight final. But um, especially in the fall, the fall is all heats and time trials. Like, um, the fall, since you're doing those, like, long 5K races, you can't race 30 boats across on a 5K course. Yeah. Um, not like you're doing that for a 2K course. But um, when you have that many boats, you have to send them down just one by one racing the clock. Um, and then in the spring and summer and winter, you have just your 2K races, which are usually, like, six boats, six to nine boats across. Um, and then you'll have like heats, semis, time trials, finals, stuff like that. Yeah, beautiful. That's fantastic. Uh, and like I said, it's such a it's such a great exercise, great fitness, great cardiovascular oh, yeah. sport. Oh, yeah. um, and it, I feel like too, it's one of those sports that once you learn how to do it, um, you can kind of do it for the rest of your life. Yeah. I mean, obviously different competitive levels, but you can kind of. You seem like it, it seems like there's a lot of rowers that do it into their 30s, oh, 40s, yeah. 50s, 60s. Yeah, definitely. It's actually weird. They, uh, I, all the guys I row with are older than me, but um, we always joke that like the peak physical rowing body is like a 30 year old dad bod. It's really <laughs> funny. Like you'll see all these college guys that row for like Princeton, Harvard, and like Washington, all these big name schools that are just like these massive, towering, just ripped guys. And then you see like Hamish Bond in the New Zealand eight who won uh, the Olympics this past Olympics. He like dad bod, straight dad bod. He's probably like thirty, forty, and he's winning Olympics. Like, yeah. so you're saying I'm in the prime <laughs> of chance. my rowing there career. You're chance. saying yeah, there's a chance. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, but, All right, I'm going to come down to West Side Rowing and start <laughs> yeah, my sure. uh, start my program. Olympic. We have a master's program. Uh, sign me up. Sure. I'm there. <laughs> All right, uh, so that's fantastic, uh, and I know I love this time of year. Um, in fact, this is why I'm come, just coming from soccer practice, fall season. I love it. Most of the sports for high school are starting to kick off this year. For me, it's just it's such a fantastic time of year. I mean, you've got the rolling down there. I know that we're two days into our soccer practice. Uh, Kenny Squirrels, we're going to look pretty well on the soccer field this year. Um, I know football has been starting up. It's just, as a coach, it's just such a fun time of year for doing tryouts, seeing what your team are, seeing your returning players. Um, and it's it's such an exciting time. Even college sports, I know they've been back probably um, a good three, four weeks, not, if, you, if not even longer. Um, it's just, it's, it's brand new. 
Um, for me, uh, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna embarrass her by saying her name. Um, what one of my athletes last year? She was. A, she's a senior now. Um, coming out for the soccer team last year was a junior. Um, we kind of put her on our practice squad. Just a very nice girl, very sweet girl. Just didn't have the, um, didn't have the cardio yet. Didn't have the skill yet. Um, but she would text myself and um, um, the other varsity coach, uh, Coach Rapel, and she would text us constantly throughout the season. Coach, I'm getting better. Coach, I'm doing touches. Coach, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And holy cow, just seeing her these last two days in practice, just seeing. I mean. I even joked with her today, but like, listen, did all you do last year was schoolwork and then soccer, schoolwork and soccer, because it is night and day. Um, You notice the difference right off the bat. And it's fantastic when you see a kid who not only tells you that they're putting in the work, but when you're actually able to see the results from putting in the work, it's, it's so the last two days for just that reason alone too have been so tremendous. Um, And I'm sure you guys have gotten, seen those kids where, you might see them one year and just, all right, nice kid, but just needs a lot of work. And then next year, just, who, holy cow, come out of nowhere. Um, and I think that just, that's, that's the beauty of sports. You know, you push a kid a little bit, you get them motivated, and it's almost like they're just, thanks, coach, I got you. I'm going to do this on my own, and I'm going to come back and show you yeah. what I've done. Um, have you ever had those kids, have any of you guys had those, those kids where you, they just, so much growth that you've seen from one year to the next. Uh, go for okay, it. Yeah, go so, for it, Michael. You're the I, guest. I, you guys only, are so friendly. I've only been coaching, for, like uh, competitively coaching for like a year now. So um, I don't really have enough time to really say that I, I've seen someone who's done that. But um, I know from – I've been the cap- captain of my college team for the past three years. And um, I know it's not a coaching position. But um, – you, you do get hey, to see I always that. say a captain is almost like a second coach yeah, out there yeah. a lot of times. I, I saw that a lot. Um, rowing is one of those sports where, like, the physical, like, the bigger you are, the taller you are, and, like, the longer your arms are, you do have, like, a, a physical advantage over other people who don't have that. But there's this one guy on my team. He's the captain now. Totally deserves it. Great guy. But he's... He's probably no offense, but he's probably shorter than you, Matt. And his name is his name's Joe. And before before you continue, yeah, yeah, yeah. can I say that I'm so <laughs> glad that you said no offense to Matt, he's shorter than you, and not me. So, Mike, great yeah. job there. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for Thank that you. one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but his his name's Joe, and the man's a tank. He um like he doesn't have that that physical like edge over everyone else. But the dude two summers ago. Just he left. Uh, he was in the two V. He was not two V's like second varsity boat. Um, he was in the two V, not happy about it, and he went and rode all summer. Just put in the work and came back, and he was in the one V, like never taken out of it. Just absolutely killed it. And just being able to see like the fruits of your labor, you kind of thing, you know, like seeing him put in the work, being like, all right, you know what, I want this seat, I'm gonna take it. And he just put in the work and came back, and the man is a tank. He just keeps up with everyone. You'd second-guess him by the moment you saw him. And that's so awesome because a lot of times you'll see athletes that they can go one way or another. They can say, forget this. Coach, you don't know what you're doing. You guys don't know what you're talking about. Get frustrated and either quit or just not put in that extra work and continue to go further and further down the depth chart. Or like you said, in that case, you can see him. Really take it as take a challenge, on. and listen. I'm going to prove everybody wrong, and I'm going to I'm going to take it to the top. So that's awesome, and I love seeing that. Matt, any stories either from a player or, or uh, as a coach where you've just always had that kind of eh, borderline make it player teammate, whatever, or a person that you coach to 
next thing you know, turns out to be that the rock star on the team. Yeah, um, I had this one little. This was when I was coaching, like, house soccer, nonetheless. But, like, this one kid, I, I went, he was, the first time I coached him was, like, six years old. So, you know, not, like, super organized soccer. But I could still, like, it was, like, it got to the point where, like, you're, like, trying to teach some, um, like, you know, formations, like, where you're standing, where, you're, like, different positions and stuff. And uh, he was he was a defensive player, and he had a friend, actually, who was playing, because there was co-ed, so a boy and a girl, and she would play midfield. Um, and you know, I, I felt like they had some potential, but obviously they were still young and stuff and, you know, still quirky. Um, and then I moved up to 10 and, uh, 10, 11 and 12 and I had the same kids again. And those two kids were the ones that never came off the field, never wanted to come off the field. And it was like the power duo really like one stayed in the back all the time. He knew exactly where his spot was. He called the shots and then the midfielder would go in and out of like offense and defense. It's like, I didn't <laughs> like, I even would tell him, I was like coaching you guys like a couple of years ago, you did not possess this. Like they were playing like they should play varsity soccer. You know, it's just something like it's, it's great to see like that click in an athlete where they just like, they find their work ethic and they find their groove. And then, at that point, you just can't get them out of it, and then it's sky's the limit for them. I love it. That's for me. That's the that's the best part um, of coaching. I mean, I've been doing it now almost twenty years, and that's always been the the best part that I love is just seeing. I mean, obviously, you love winning. Obviously, you love winning games, winning championships, winning uh, tournaments. But for me, just seeing that, I got it moment is so awesome um it reminds me of one story when i it was my first year of coaching varsity soccer um and i had this girl she was a very very timid girl she was the type of girl especially early on in practices and games where if the ball would come towards run towards her she'd run in the other direction just so she didn't have to she didn't want the pressure of kicking the ball dealing with the ball um and it was always every every practice Kick the ball. Go after it. Come on. I'm not again. I, I don't want to say her name because if she ever listens to it, she'll know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, but I remember one game. It was towards the end of the season. She finally went after a 50-50 ball. She finally went right after the player, made the play, and unfortunately took the ball right to the face <laughs> and went right down. And I went running on the field before the official even blew the whistle. I went running on the field. I'm like, oh, my God, this girl's never going to listen to a word I say. But to her credit, she popped right back up before I took more than 10 steps on the field, looked at me, coach, I'm good. And I run, ran off the field, and I'm, I, was, I was almost in tears. I loved it. I mean, obviously, you don't want your player to take a ball to the face. But the fact that she not only went in, made the play, not only took the contact, but... Yeah. Popped right back up. Hey, oh I got this, and she was a she. That was her junior junior year, and she just took off. Um, she was a player who still didn't really have that this, that skill yet, but she could give me ten, fifteen, twenty minutes from the bench, which was fantastic. Was she ever going to turn college? No. Was she ever going to turn pro? No. But just um, for me, just the lessons that she learned, the hard work, the dedication. Um, that she put into the sport, even though she at first wasn't all that comfortable with it. Yeah. She stuck with it, and I thought it was fantastic. Um, and that kind of leads me to um, one to- our first topic that I want to go over. Um, and I know, Matt, you're excited about this one, so we're <laughs> going to let you go right at it. 
um, participation trophies. Um, I've got some strong thoughts about them one way. Matt, you've been chomping at the bit on this one. I can see your big smile there. So I'm going to let you uh, share your thoughts about participation trophies. All right. Um, first off, I don't ever want to discourage like a kid to not play a sport. And, you know, yeah, losing's not fun. It will never be fun, no matter how old you get, no matter how much you play the sport. And, yeah, I, you know, I would play, like, house leagues and stuff like that, and everybody got a trophy. Everybody got something. Um, did it make you feel good? Yeah. Um, but, like, you know, as you get older and stuff like that, I felt like there becomes some sort of, like, entitlement when it comes to, like, I'm playing the sport, like, I didn't win, but where's my trophy? Um, and you know, the older, older you get, the more you get into the quote unquote real, real world where, you know, you lose and you don't get anything. That's supposed to be like the trophy that you get for losing is the determination you have to go and actually get the trophy. You don't get a trophy just for showing up. I, I really feel that like kids nowadays really need to learn how to lose in a good way and use that as like a, as like a development tool rather than like discouraging. So don't, so don't like say like, Hey, we're not going to give you a trophy because you lost. It's like, Hey, you lost, like you're not going to get a trophy this year, but use this loss to like help fuel you to get better. And one day you will get the actual trophy and it'll make it feel so much better. Like people, like when I played like house league soccer, or house league um, baseball, they would just have like the all-stars, which is like, that was where like you know you earn to be there that 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 was like the only kind of like trope like we all got medals if you got in but like that felt a lot more deserved and earned than just like the communal trophy you got at the end of it um because you're like you were picked by players you're picked by your coach you're like you deserve to be on this and it just it just makes you feel better but again like i never want to discourage a kid from playing a game just because they're not going to get anything in return um that should just be you should just be playing it for the fun of it. The trophy at the end is just a bonus, but depends on how competitive you really are about it. I agree, and I'm I'm glad that you that you put in there. Um, you need to learn how to lose because I think for sports, I mean, I don't care how good you are. I don't care if you're what sport you're playing. Um, at some point, you're going to lose, and I think that's we've got as coaches and as players, you've got to be okay with losing. If you're not okay with losing, you shouldn't be in sports because in a lot of sports, you're going to do a lot, especially early on, Mm -hmm. you're going to do a lot more losing than you are winning. Um, Winning is something that you earn. I think it's it's an important life lesson, not only in sports, but just in life overall, that you need um, to learn how to lose. You need to learn that sportsmanship. You need to learn, all right, um, I put in a great effort today. I made I played as best as I could or maybe I wasn't at the the for whatever reason wasn't at the top of my game today but the person that I was playing against the team that I was that we were playing against they were just that much better I'm going to tip my cap to them I'm going to go out shake their hand congratulations I'm going to learn from this loss learn what I did wrong what I need to do better where I can improve and then hopefully next time we play them or the next team that we play we're not going to make those same mistakes, and we're going to get a better result. And you know what? If we lose again that next game, well, 
I've got to keep trying better. Or sometimes the breaks just didn't go our way. Um, So for me, I think losing in sports is a lot more valuable than winning. Um, And it's just something that I think sometimes as coaches – we don't. Um, we might not let our teams know, or maybe we should let them know a little bit better. Hey, it's okay to lose. Um, I tell my kids all the time, uh, whether it's in practice or in games, um, I can deal with. In fact, I just had this conversation with them today at practice during one of our drills. I can deal with you making a mistake as a player. I can deal with you going out there and not knowing where to be in the field, or making a bad pass, taking a bad shot giving up a bad goal. That's fine. I can deal with a mistake. If you do something great, I'm going to go over, tell you exactly, hey, great job. You did that. Let's do it again. If you make a mistake, I'm going to go over and correct it. But what I can't coach is a no decision. I can't coach you being too afraid to mess up, too afraid to make a dis- or to make a mistake out there. I can't I can't help you with that. You've got to be okay with failing. You've got to be okay with going out there, trying your best, making a mistake, and oops, and learning from your oops. Um, Now, does that happen a lot in rowing where some guys maybe get a little too too frustrated, a little too carried away with maybe because they haven't won the last two or three races or lost the race that they're supposed to win? Um, How does the frustration kind of... uh, carry over into more of an individual um, well I guess, I guess I shouldn't say more of an individual because it is very much a team oh, sport yeah. with rowing. It's also extremely individual too which is awesome about it but um, we have these things in, in rowing called um, a seat race and okay. um, this is like the perfect example for like so say I, I'm in the 2V and we raced, I, I raced in the 2V we lost but I think I deserve a seat in the, the first varsity boat I can go up to the coach and say hey coach I want a seat race for 6 seat in the, the 1V and he'd be like, okay. And then the next day at practice, he'd take two eights out next to each other. And uh, one eight has me in it. One me, in, one eight has me in it. And the next eight has the other guy in it. And you race like a four-minute piece down. And then you see which boat won and by how much. And then you switch the two people from each boat. So now the one boat has me in it that had the other guy. And then the other guy's in the boat that I was originally in. And you do the same exact piece down. And then you see who actually made the boat move faster. And then if, so say, if I made the 1V move faster than the other guy, sorry, dude, but you're out. Like, the, just then and there, like, the other dude lost his seat. And it's it's very cutthroat. But there's there's kind of like a, a drive to that, you know, um, where, like, if you do have a bad race and you do lose, you have a chance to be like, hey, I think I deserve this seat. And, again, it comes from coaching where, like, if you actually give it to them or not. But um, to kind of loop it back to the participation medal with rowing um it's so hard to just be like yeah like you lost but here you go like if you lost by 30 seconds you know rowing is very i've I've never once seen a participation medal in rowing ever and it's very like yeah you lost like tough luck kid better luck next time but i think it's a huge coaching thing to be able to coach your kids on how to lose rather than um just being like oh yeah you lost like whatever go home you know better luck next time like i had i I lost this race i was on a a winning streak with a boat that i was in for a few summers ago and we lost one of the races and we were all joking around in front of it like before the race kind of like ah like we got this one in the bag like whatever and my coaches kept silent and then after the race after we lost and our, our heads were down and we were all mad about it he said like remember how you feel right now 
and go in next time and know to never underestimate a race. Go in thinking that you're going to lose and that you've got to push yourself to win. And remember how you feel now. Think about what you did during that race that made it go poorly. And then next time, next practice, be focusing on that. And I think if more coaches and well, I don't want to say parents, but like if more people pushed that rather than being like, oh, yeah, like nice try. Better luck next time. I think if you taught them like this is what you did wrong. This is how you fix it. Or think about what you did wrong. Think about how you could fix it. I think it would make it so much more beneficial. Losing is so important. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. I know with a lot of my teams, too, when we have uh, preseason tournaments or even where we set the schedule in the beginning of the year. There's been times where, especially if I've had, um, if I have a team that I know is going to be pretty decent or even above average, should be a very good team, um, I'll give them a tougher opponent Mm -hmm. right at the beginning of the schedule, whether it's a preseason tournament, um, even a simple scrimmage, or the first game of the year. Um, And I want them to see, hey, listen, this is right off the bat. Whether we win or lose, even if we, more often than not, I'll, I'll set them up with a team that I know um, is going to be better than them. Um, I'll I'll give them that same speech. Hey, girls, we've been thinking we're you know we're hot stuff here. Um, or I've done it with guys teams too that I've coached, and it's just all right. They beat us today. Yeah. They're right here. They're at about a, a, a nine or ten. Yeah. Right now we're not there yet. We've got two ways we can go this season. We can continue to push hard. We'll see them again towards the end of the year. We know we have them a second time. We can push hard, hard, hard and try to catch them, or we can just be okay with where we are. Either way, you've got to put in the hard work. Um, in fact, my one of my favorite memories um, of coaching, it was a 7th and 8th grade modified team at Ken Middle, and um, we were a very good team that year. Uh, we, were, um, we only had one loss in the year. We were und- uh, undefeated going into our sixth game against Luport, and they're always a very good team, very solid team, and they beat us one nothing on a penalty shot. Um, it was the sixth game, fifth or sixth game of the season. So we were undefeated and um, the kids were walking off the field, obviously losing to a penalty shot, which I still say this, to this day, it was a bad call. Uh, they said the kid tripped him. I didn't think he touched him, but that's just me ranting a little bit. Um, so it was uh, late in the, late in the first half, they scored on the penalty shot. Um, we ended up losing one, nothing. And I just remembered the vibe of the kids coming off the field. They didn't have their heads down. They came off the field. They were obviously upset over the loss. They shook their hands, but they said, um, in fact, my captain in the huddle came in and said, Coach, we've got them the last game of the season. And from there on, every practice, every game that we played, every time we took the field, it was, yeah, we obviously didn't overlook our opponents, but it was... Let's get better for Luport. Let's get better for Luport. And sure enough, the last game of the season, we ended up blowing them out 5 nothing. Nice. And I just remember um, talking with their coach after the game and shaking his hands, and he just looked, your kids wanted this game. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him and I just said, your bleeping right we darn did. Yeah. Uh, you're <laughs> darn, darn tootin'. Tootin'. You're darn tootin' we did. And... Um, he just he he said you know even his his team had been undefeated going into that last game, um, and the fact that we won in we both ended up finishing with one loss so we both finished with a eleven and one record but because we won with goal differentials we beat them by five they beat us by one 
we ended up taking the um, modified championship that year, and it was, I mean, the, the, the kids, they, that loss, I think, was just the biggest turning point of their season. Yeah. And I, I could see it going the other way. I, I could see Luport, you know, having that. If we had, if the roles were reversed and we had beat them one nothing on a PK, who knows? That last game of the season, they might have come in, came in fired up, and they very well might have taken us out. But I know going into that game, it was one of those games as a coach where I just basically set the lineup. Yeah, I had, I didn't have to give that pregame speech. In fact, I believe the only thing I said to them was. It's Luport. Let's go. There was no big pregame speech. The kids, if I tried to fire them up anymore, they would have run through a wall or run. The, it was it was unbelievable, and it was that loss that I think really just it fired it fired them up. It fueled them the rest That's of the year. And it's it's like you guys said. It's so important just to let them know it's okay to lose. Yeah. Um, you obviously want to win. But it's okay to lose and let that let that mistake, let that loss, let that failure in life, let it fuel you, pick yourself back up, and go after what you want again. Um, as far as um, losing and winning, um, for you guys, how important is sportsmanship? I think it kind of goes hand in hand, but how important is sportsmanship to you guys? Matt, would you like to go first? Sure. Um... I don't and and do you think that sportsmanship is kind of something that's maybe not taught as much as it was back in the day? I know for us, I mean, even in soccer, we always did the handshake through the line. Right. But uh, I know as 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 younger players, it was always you know you'd kind of maybe skip over a hand here or there or yeah. say some stuff that maybe you shouldn't have. And I know I've been guilty of that too as a younger child. I mean, I like I, the thing that pops in my head the most is like you know with those like little soccer games, like um, like with the, like the little kids and stuff. After every game, no matter what the score was or something, the teams would like get together and be like, like uh, one, two, three, four, like or like who do we appreciate or like something like that. And then they see the opposite team's name and then like oh we all feel so happy, good. And like meanwhile, if you're on the opposite team, if you're me when I was a little kid, I was like screw you guys. Um, it's like, you don't appreciate us. But um, as much as I think that when I'm playing a, on a, like a, a, another team or something, that everybody on the other team is my enemy. <laughs> um, and if I lose to said team, then I really think they're my enemy. I think you just got to because at the end, it is a game. It is a game. No matter what what's entitled, even if it's like your career or stuff, like if you're like in the like you know you see people in like the national football league if they lose like they still like run over like and like acknowledge other people's like if anything just acknowledge the other person's game yeah. like especially if they beat you you're just like okay i'm man enough or or woman enough to acknowledge that you played better than me yeah. like even if you are mad that you lost even if you really don't like them as a person maybe they were a dirty player just be like all right you got us it that's that's what it comes down to. And I think that also helps losing feel a little better at some points, too. If, like, you can, like, separate yourself from, like, the game mode to, like, just person on person. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Take yourself out of just, like, being a player and be like, all right, like, now we're just two people and, like, in this situation. Now, I found it – I find it getting harder and harder, I guess, as a coach to kind of drill it in the players. Do you think it's something that you, as as athletes, it – if you hear it from your coach, 
um, it carries more weight or hearing it from home from mom or dad or siblings? Does it what do you think carries more weight for you guys kind of hearing it from mom, mom, dad, like, you know, make sure you say nice game or when your coach kind of drills it. Hey, win or lose, you go over and shake your hands upon your opponent's hand. Uh, I think Keo can attest to this, but um, my mother's very nice, mm-hmm. and she raised me to be overly nice. And um, so, personally, for me, I know with the rowing, I never had an issue saying "nice race" or like "good race" at the end of a race. But when it comes to coaching, and from what I've I've noticed, <clears throat> I always tell my kids like <clears throat> any kind of racing. Um, environment that you're in when you're done with a piece you look at the the boat next to you you win or lose you say good race you don't have to talk to them you don't have to you just just say good race you know um uh and i think that i had a parent come up to me after i i was racing crew camp and the finish line was right by the parent stand and i said in the megaphone after my boat like crossed the line i said like they were all cheering and like throwing water at each other after they won and i said like guys like humble victories say good race and they like they looked at the boat next to them and said good race and then wrote it back and then celebrated when they were out of earshot and i had a parent come up to me and say like that's that's huge you know uh teaching that kind of sportsmanship teaching that kind of uh nicety you know um so i think it comes in a sporting like in sporting environment i think it comes mostly from the coaches you know um i know for me personally when it comes to parent like not parenting i don't have a kid but like parents versus coaches I, I know I'm a different person in my rowing environment than I am around my parents, and I'm a different person around my parents than I am around, like, a rowing environment. So in that kind of specific environment, I think it would be more impactful on me for, coming from my coach rather than my parent. Yeah. I agree. Matt, what do you think? Coming from more from a parent or more from a coach? Um, I don't know. Like, like obviously, like, if, like, your parents will try to instill in you, like, be, be a good person, be be like uh, respectful to other people um but really like i think like what my coach used to tell me is is like hey like if especially like what mike was saying like if you're celebrating in front of your opponent after you after they lost and you won it's like hey guys be humble in your victory because ultimately you're going to be in the other side of that you're gonna you're gonna be the one losing and you don't and it's like it just like think about how you would feel if like you just saw the team that just like swept you and they're just like cheering hooting and hollering not even giving you like at least some acknowledgement so like my coach definitely got more of like a uh got the message more across saying it's like listen you guys are going to be like not saying you might is like you will sometime be in that position and it's like better to to treat them with respect just the way you want to be treated as you know that saying goes yeah, I agree. And I think just as we said, you need uh, we all need to learn how to lose. We all need to learn how to win. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like how you said kind of a humble victory, Mike. I like that. And I've preached that to my, my kids a lot where, you know, there's going to be times where you're going to be on the winning end of a 10 nothing score. Yeah. There's going to be times that you're on the losing end yeah. of a 10 nothing score. Um, and it's when you're on that winning end, you want to remember, hey, I, it, it doesn't feel good to be on the end of that losing I'm not saying that, you know, when you win, whether it's a close game or a blowout, you can't celebrate. You absolutely can celebrate and absolutely should celebrate. You should you should be happy about your win. But at the same time, make sure you go over. Make sure you congratulate the or or say great job. Make sure you give your respect to your opponent and make sure that, you know, you're not you don't want to rub it in. Uh it's it's funny actually you talk about uh like going up to your opponent and like acknowledging them and stuff like that and to kind of loop it back in with like rowing with and rowing and how to like lose 
there's a tradition in betting shirts and rowing. I don't know if it's like this in any other sport, but um, so say there's like three boats racing and all shirt, all, all teams are betting shirts and it's literally the shirt that they're racing in. And the winner of that race, when you're done and you lose, like say I lost to Matt and Matt won, I literally go up to him, I take the shirt off my back and I give it to him and I'm like, good race. And then he gets to take that shirt home and that is his shirt now. And um, I think it's, it, it was kind of a cool experience, especially the first time I had to do it because you know, I was a freshman in college, and I just, I just got my blank handed to me in, in a race. And I, I go up to this boat, and this guy's like towering over me. And I give him my shirt, and he was like, "Hey, man, yeah, good race, like really good race." And it kind of helped me kind of feel better about it, you know. And knowing that stuff like that happens, and being able to kind of have that camaraderie between sports, like just the sportsmanship, you know, like he, he's going through the same thing you're going through. You just did it slightly better, you know, and then you win and you take that and you run with it. And it's, I, I don't know, I think it's just an important lesson. It's like swapping jerseys. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say in soccer, basketball, I know a couple sports where they'll, they'll swap a jersey yeah. at the end of the game, especially if it's a bigger tournament. And it, you're right. It's just having that mutual respect, not only for yourself, not only for your opponent, but just for the game, yeah. whatever sport <clears throat> you're on. It's right. just, it's just having that mutual respect, mutual respect. Um, again, every other college, every other rowing crew, I'm sure they do the same, the same fitness level, the same hard work, the same. It's just at some point, one person either does it a little bit better or one person just, hey, everything fell into place perfectly that day. And that's the only reason why you won by a tenth of a second, a second, two seconds. Um, now, is it like in track where, where some of those races can get pretty yeah. darn uh, close in times? Dadville's my freshman year. I'm still, I still have nightmares about it. Um, it was the semi qualifying for the grand final. You know, like if we got top three of this race, we were moving on to grands. And um, we, we got fourth place by 0.4 seconds. Oh. I know, to Delaware. And, and it was, I, I knew the coxswain of the Delaware boat, actually. He's from Buffalo. And like, again, sportsmanship. We were really cool about it afterwards. He had his medal on. They got third. But um, it, 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 it does happen a lot, actually. Like, I've seen races. 10 second margins but i've also been in races with like that point decimal point like kind of margins and it always it always sucks when it happens oh and absolutely and for whatever reason the losses always tend to stay with you longer than the wins i still remember um one of my i think it was my first actually my first year at park we uh we were in the championship game and we we gave up an early goal and lost one nothing and I just keep replaying. I, and in fact, I I know the moment they scored, I had to take my I had to take my best defender off because she was she was limping a little bit. She called for a sub, needed a quick rest. She was only off the field for one minute and fifty four seconds. And in that one minute and fifty four seconds of game time, they scored the goal. And I just keep thinking to myself, I know I had to pull her back, but. Did I make the right sub if I would have dropped maybe my midfielder in to cover her for that two minutes? Or if I would have um, maybe pushed somebody, pushed a forward back, ran a different formation for that two or three minutes, even just told the girls, hey, kick, keep kicking the ball out of bounds yeah. just to kill a little clock. But it's just, and this was way back in uh, 2000, 2003, and I'm still, there, there'll be times I'll still replay that or it'll just pop in my head and I'll, 
Ugh. Yeah, that's like the worst part about losing by margins so small like that. Like have it be like one point or like less than a second is when you're looking back on it, it's always like if I only did this like a little bit better. Like when you have big margins, you know, like either you just got outplayed or something happened that you know of, you know. Um, but with small margins, it, there's always that one like nagging thing in the bag. Like, oh, man, if only I did this one little thing better. Or if I only did this, there's so many more what ifs in small margins than there are in big margins. And uh, that... That kills me. Every time I think about it, I still think about it. Always messes me up. But that's the beauty of sports, though. Yeah. It's going to, I mean, it literally can come down to fractions of a second, fractions of, of a, one simple play in a game. And I know as coaches, we always, we always preach it never comes down to one moment. It never comes down to one moment. But darn it, there's times it, it comes down it to does. one moment. <laughs> Yeah. And I know you can always do that, rah, rah. Well, what about all those other moments leading up? What if we had scored two goals in the beginning? What if we had stopped them here, stopped them there? But there's times where it comes down to that one moment. Um, now, I know with, uh, with, with more of a team sport like soccer, basketball, have you guys ever been in that one moment where it was either maybe on a, on a basketball, taking a free throw, where it was – literally up to you or a a big moment um did you guys ever experience anything like that oh yeah um i had this one race um the i was i was a freshman in college it was a summer going in my sophomore year of college and it was at canadian henley which is a 2000 meter race and we were racing against like best teams in the country best teams in the world like the argentinian national team was we were racing against them (laughs) like quick quick boats and um we were like, we knew we weren't going to win it. You know, like that was, uh, we knew we weren't because that Argentina team was so fast. And, but we, it was like a race for second, you know, and we were crossing the line and we were in the last 500 meters of the race. And you usually start your sprint around like the 300, 250, you know, um, but um, we crossed the 500 and my coxswain, I can hear him say like, all right, guys, if we're going to do that, we're in fourth place right now and he's like all right guys we're gonna do this like we gotta go now you know like we're not gonna get this unless we go right now i'm getting chills remembering it but um <laughs> he's like we gotta go now like we're gonna in two strokes everyone's just gonna drop it we're gonna start our sprint we're gonna go up two beats and two on this one that's one that's two and then on that second stroke you just felt the entire boat commit to it and the boat just picked up speed and we got third and it, it's just that, that's one of those experiences where it's just like uh that's what coxswains are for too they're just they're the guys who are just like all right matt last 500 meters like you have to go now and then you're like I okay i'll I, go and i, I can't go. go now you can but you have to go now <laughs> that's the beauty of it that's awesome matt ever have any of those uh in any sport like just um even i i know you play soccer goaltender but even just hey, i've got to make this big pk shot or i've got to anywhere it's it's down to the wire and it's just you versus the world or you with the the, the team on your back no. <laughs> no. Let me tell you, I, no coach ever trusted me with that big of a deal. <laughs> Straight up. So Matt Matt is not uh it's not money Matt over there. It's not pressure Matt. No, no it's Matt. like I either start the game and I'm doing great or they put me in basically to save face. Like I remember I remember the first time I debuted as goalkeeper in um 
in a travel soccer. We were losing by like six, and they're like, Matt, go into the goal. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and to my credit, I didn't let another goal in, but like there was no like they didn't put me in with the hopes of just like you're gonna you're gonna do great it's just like just make it look less bad get out there champ yeah get out there champ now that that brings me to another topic um you were saying up six nothing as as a um as a coach or even just seeing it on teams do you feel like if um obviously in a soccer game six nothing lead it's getting out of hand yeah. Do you feel that uh, the coaches on both teams are the, definitely the coach on the team that's up six not up up six nothing? I'll learn how to talk at one point. Um, should start backing off their players, uh, whether it's putting their starters in different spots or taking their starter starting eleven off. Um, obviously, as a soccer team, you can't take everybody off because you don't have that many subs. But at least taking your starting three, four, five, clearing your bench out, so to speak. Uh, or is it just hey? Um, I'm playing my team the way I want to play. You guys have a choice to either stop us or get out of our way. Um, what's your guys' thoughts on that? Like, what, whether a team should start backing off once they get to a certain point, even in a basketball game, football game, or is it just, hey, we're here to play, come stop us? I, I know in rowing, like, in my experience, we'd have, like, maybe two races in a day, you know, and say we're winning the first, like, the first race is a qualifier for the second. And if we're winning the first race by, like, open water, like a bunch of open water, we're just winning it, we might bring it down. But there's, in, in row, you probably teach it in other sports, but um, in rowing, it's kind of drilled into you that you don't stop no matter what. Like, you just keep going. If you're, like, throwing up on yourself, you keep going. If, like, your nose bleeds, you keep going because you don't want to teach yourself that stopping, you know? Because if you're, if you're in an erg, like, you're erging, right, and you're, you're doing, like, a 20-minute piece, and you have like three minutes left and you're like, man, I just can't make it anymore. Like my lungs are on fire. My legs are screaming at me and you stop. You're teaching yourself that stopping is okay. You know? So, uh, I think there's like a fine line between reserving yourself for like a future competition and, um, to a point where it can then be negative where you're kind of teaching yourself to kind of lean back in the second half, kind of subconsciously even. Um, I think there's kind of like a fine line that you have to walk there. Absolutely, and it's funny because in track and field too, you know, especially during uh, going into the early heats, um, I know you see it a lot during the Olympics where you'll hear them, well, you know, so-and-so is only, they're only trying to make the top three. They only yeah. want to make the top four to get into the finals, um, and then they'll go out. I know we've had, uh, you know, for whether it's sprinters um, or even mid-distance when there's that heat, you know, we'll kind of, hey, you should win this heat easily. We're not telling you to back off, but when you know that it's in the bag, Bring it down yeah, a little bit. You know, you don't need to. You don't need to do your full kick mm-hmm. when you're already ahead. You know, bring it down, save it for the finals. Yeah, exactly. Gonna, like th- maybe we won't sprint or something like that, but we'll still roll through the line at race pace. You know, uh, maybe just take out the sprint. Maybe not sprint earlier or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure with rowing, that's where the the experience of the coxswain comes the coxswain. in. Yep. You know, the hey guys, we've got this. Just let's bring it in. Yep. Let's keep it smooth. Let's mm-hmm. bring it in. No mistakes. Cruise through the line. Uh, Matt, what's your thoughts on on teams? Um, I don't want to say necessarily running it up because I don't think I don't think that's good for any sport where you run it up and purposely tell your kids to go out, go out, go out, but totally taking it off the gas um, and totally just throwing in the benches. What What's your thoughts on that? Well, okay, so in different atmospheres, like I remember when I just started coaching and stuff. Like my dad told me, "Is like you, you you play to win, so do that with what do that with whatever you feel is right." 
Um, I've definitely coached teams where clearly we nothing we could do was wrong. And, you know, the other team was just in shambles. And <laughs> in shambles. But, um, you know, even sometimes those are house games. And, like, <laughs> my parents, the, my, the parents for my team never complained. Um, maybe the other team did. But, um, you know, it's just it, you, you got to find, like, that gauge is, like, okay, is this too much? Or, like, is it still, like, a learning thing? And then I also remember it's just, like, okay, so say you're winning by, like, 7 nothing, which in soccer is a lot. Um, maybe you should be, like, all right, maybe you start working, like, technique-wise instead of just, like, if, like, say, like, the, the, the play that you keep going is, like, like your center sends a through ball to the right wing and because he's always open you can always beat that defender and then you can cross it in that's a goal like all right maybe like try to run a different formation try to run like different types of passes and stuff and turn it into like more like a technical learning like thing for the players for your own players um you know and like because in a game setting like a real game setting like that's an opportunity for them to like work on different stuff to work it out where it might not hinder them um I mean, again, like if it's like really, really bad, yeah, I'll take like the starters out and give those people that, you know, definitely like have like the will to be on the field, but maybe not the skill, put them out there just to put them in that in-game experience as well. Um, And, you know, it's mostly a positive game experience for them if you're winning. So just give them that like that kind of taste to see how they act in that kind of atmosphere. Absolutely. And I think especially for coaches, it's something you have to learn as a coach. I know um, there, especially early on um, in my coaching career, I coached some teams that weren't weren't necessarily bad, but, you know, were maybe a little uh, average or below average. And I know there were times where we would uh, we'd lose three, nothing, four, nothing, six, nothing, seven, nothing, especially when we're playing some of the better teams in the league. Um, but there were also there uh, there were also games that you know we would win two nothing three nothing because there there are teams that were we were we were in the middle of the road teams especially a lot of my teams early on and I remember um, one lesson that I learned as a young coach uh, we were playing a the they were a bottom of the basement team one of the last place teams and we had just come off of two straight games of playing the top two teams in the league so we got our Rears handed to us. I think one game was eleven nothing. The other game was maybe uh, eight or nine nothing. We we got handled pretty easily. Uh, the team that we were playing early on, um, that that team that was uh, one of the bottom basements, within the first I think fifteen twenty minutes of the game, it was already four five nothing. Um, and for me, I you know I, I I like winning. I like having it. I got to that point. We're like, all right, good, good. And I find my I found myself catching myself, but like almost having an answer like, listen, idiot, you just lost eleven nothing and nine nothing or whatever the scores were a couple days ago. You and your team felt like garbage afterwards. Why are you gonna do this to this team? Why are you gonna make them feel like garbage? You were complaining that such and such team you thought they ran up the score, yet here you are, dummy. Yeah. You're doing the same thing. And I had that uh oh. And I started pulling off my starters. Yeah. I started, and I had the girls saying, well, I want to score. I want to score. Halftime, we were still, we kept it at five. Um, I had to have that conversation with them. Girls, remember how awful we felt last game? Remember how we thought they were? Do we really want to make that team feel as badly as we felt? Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm not saying we're going to start kicking balls into our own net and scoring goals, but we're not going to be that team. We're not going to be that team that makes somebody else feel ridiculous. So it was more of playing some of the bench players when the starters went in or even when the bench went in. It was, okay, 10 passes. All right, let's set up plays. Let's look for the perfect shot. If the perfect shot is there and only if the perfect shot is there, take it. But I don't want you guys doing any one-on-one going through. I don't want you guys. And, you know, it's for me, it was a huge lesson. I think we scored one goal in the second half. And we made sure to, you know, congratulate every one of their, their kids. And it was funny. The coach came up to me afterwards, and he just said, I don't know if you did this on purpose or not, but I want to thank you. He said, this is the closest game that we've had all year long. Wow. He said, every other team has beat us by at least 12 or 13 goals. He said, again, I don't know and I don't want to know if you purposely told your kids to come off or to you know not score, but I want to thank you. My girls, are they feel like they just won a league championship right now. They're so proud of themselves that they kept it competitive and that they kept you guys under 10. So thank you. Um, And I just shook his hand. Congratulations. You know, great job. Your team's improving. Didn't tell him, you know, what we did, but just walked off the field. And for me, that was was more important than getting the W. That was more important than some of my kids who scored their first and only goals of the season. Um, And I made sure to tell them that. And it just... For me, that was, I think it was either my first or second year ever coaching, and it was just such a huge lesson. lesson for me to learn and for my team to learn. Um, so I thought that was great. I absolutely think if you're, once you've got the game in hand, again, you're not out there coaching your team to lose or coaching your team not to play their hardest um, or not have your rowers, you know, just, yeah. all right, we're going to coast the rest of the way. Um, but you still want to win with class. Oh, yeah. You want to win with class. Sportsmanship. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's something that, um, you know, coaches, you, you can tell the coaches that teach it, and you can tell the coaches that don't teach it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's something for me, it always just, hearing it from her mom, from mom or dad, yeah, yeah, but after a while, yeah, mom always says that, yeah, mom always says that, dad yeah. always says that. Just hearing it from an outside voice, hearing it from a coach, especially a coach that you really respect. Mm-hmm. Um or a teacher that you really respect. It can go a long way. All right. Uh, we're going to wrap things up with the coach's hot seat. So these are five random questions. Oh, wow. Five random questions that we're going to ask, um, and you guys can answer them and explain your answers, give one answers, give a long explanation, whatever you want. Um, so they're going to be about anything. Question number one. To show you how random this is, favorite Keanu Reeves movie. Oh, man. (laughs) Off rip, I want to say Breakpoint. Okay, very underrated, but okay, I respect that. Uh, But the the nerd in me wants to say Matrix, but my actual, like, obsession with Keanu Reeves, I got to say Bill and Ted. Like, nostalgia, (laughs) like, the music, like, uh, Bill and Ted. I got to say Bill and Ted. I like it. You don't. Yeah. You stole my answer, but I oh, like really? it. Keep, <laughs> Matt, what's your favorite? I'm going to go generic. I'm going to go generic with the Matrix. Matrix. Okay. Any any special Matrix? No. Or just, no. Just the Matrix because the video game, like for the old PlayStation One, really hit me hard. Okay. 
I agree. And I was I was going to say Bill and Ted. In fact, I'm surprised, Mike. I didn't think you were I didn't think you were that old enough to re- to respect Bill yeah, and yeah, Ted. Of course. <laughs> so I love it. Um, but again, I think Matrix is great. Uh, the John Wick movies are great. I'm going to go in another little one off the beaten path. I'm going to say The Replacements. Um, you know, Shane Felco. Uh, I thought it was just you know it was it was almost like a movie where he just seemed to have a, really a lot of fun making it. It was uh, it was a movie that you didn't really have to take seriously. A movie that you can just kind of, you know, have fun with watching it. So I'm going to go a little off the beaten path and say the replacements, but only because Mike stole my uh. Bill and Ted answer there. So uh, respect, respect for that. Um, question two: um, If you could play any sport that you have no experience in, any sport and the position, what would it be? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you don't have the physical tools to play it. You don't have the knowledge to play it. Any sport that you have like zero experience in, or that you've never played before, what sport would it be? In what position? Um, so, Keo knows about this, but lately I've gotten into UFC, and I would I would love to get into like the fighting scene a little bit. Like, get, in the, that seems, get inside the cage yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that, that that would seem awesome. Yeah, I was gonna say boxing. Oh, there we go. There yeah. we go. Box- same, same kind of. Boxing would be me. I've always I've done a little sparring at times. I've had a little uh, you know just uh, sparring fights, and it's it's such a great sport. Oh, it yeah. really is. And I don't think pe- even with the UFC, people just think oh it's two big goons in there knocking yeah, each other's blocks off. Hands. It is so the opposite. It is especially for boxing. It's the sweet science. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so much strategy behind it. Oh, yeah. There's so much technique behind it. Being able to know how to like manipulate people's body weights against them, just like. That like yep. insane, yeah, and not only that, but even just knowing how to stop those submission attempts, yeah, yeah. knowing how to counter what they're countering, and mm-hmm. hopefully, if they counter that, knowing how to get out of it, yep. and knowing how to, it's playing offense and defense at the same time. Yep, those crazy. UFC fighters crazy. are just they're not crazy. They're nuts. Um, any particular favorite UFC fighter? Uh, okay, so, uh, yeah, this guy uh, Jan, some very long Polish last name that starts with the B. He's awesome. He's just this massive Polish dude. He's crazy. Um, I like Israel Adesanya lately has just been okay. going off. Um, he's crazy. And obviously Conor McGregor. Like, I got to yeah. say it. I got to say it. Of course. I'm Conor not going to put him number one because it's very cliche. But, like, Ugh. you got to. I, I, I like the guy. I like the I, guy. I, I liked old Conor McGregor great. before yeah. he kind of seemed to be more show mm-hmm. than go. Conor, if you ever listen to this podcast, please don't no hunt me down. Listening to it. Please, please, please don't <laughs> hunt me down. But, um, I loved old Connor where it was just all about the fighting. Oh, yeah. He didn't care who he was going against. Yeah. He was just a dangerous, dangerous man. He'd, he'd brash talk you, oh, yeah. but he was just now. He it, back it up. Absolutely. Yeah. But now it seems like it's more Hollywood Connor. Oh, easy. Yeah, definitely, um, definitely. So I, I like that. But my favorite was always, and this is going way back, was the Iceman, Chuck Liddell. Chuck Liddell, yeah. Um, I remember just thinking he was just the. He's insane. He was just the, the man. Um, not only that, but just the way his demeanor when he came into oh, the ring. scary, just dude. Yeah, yeah. wouldn't say anything, just oh. would stare you down. Yeah, um, yeah that, was, that was my favorite, the Iceman. Matt, any, any favorite UFCer or boxer? I was going to say, I don't know much about UFC, but for boxing, it would either be Manny Pacquiao or Mike Tyson. Jake Paul? <laughs> yeah, no. Jake Paul is he even fighting a boxer. on Friday. Isn't he fighting on Friday? Uh, Jake Paul is an undefeated YouTube boxer <laughs> who's boxing, who's boxing washed-up UFC fighters and NBA all stars yeah. that don't play in the league anymore. I don't think he's ever going to be a real boxer, uh-huh. and one day I'd like to see him get his 
but I, hand it to I him. Shouldn't have brought it up. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Um, question number three: um, favorite junk food? Oh, gosh, not, not not dessert, but favorite just junk food. The Sour Patch Kids. Gushers. Sour Patch Kids Sour and Patch Gushers. Kids. Mine are are the old uh, oatmeal oatmeal pies. Oh, like pie the moon pie kind of things? Yeah. In the middle. Yep. Oh, yeah. Those I those love those. Good. Little yeah, Debbie's, yeah. those are oh, fantastic. They make me little feel Debbie so bad. Yeah. Oh, man. You feel so good while you're eating them. About five minutes after, you're like, oh, I regret everything. Just eat this? It's like yeah. those zebra cakes, too. Yeah. I love them. I'm telling you, all those little things, the, the zebra cakes. The, yeah. Oh, they're fantastic. So good. They're at, like, every uh, every um, convenience store. I love them. Snowballs. I love coconut. I'm not a big coconut guy. <laughs> I love coconut. Snowballs are my thing. All right. Uh, question four. Um, one actor that if you could meet, uh, obviously besides Keanu Reeves, yeah. but one <laughs> actor or actress um, that you can meet, only one, who would you, I got to meet this person. Who would be the one actor or actress you got to meet? Robert Downey Jr. Really? Robert Why? Why Robert Downey Jr.? The whole the, Iron Man thing? Oh, yeah. uh, I, I'm a huge nerd, so the Iron Man is awesome. But like, I'm a big fan of his just like story, like coming from his whole like drug addiction and everything like that, and then getting himself back up onto his feet. And he just seems like such an awesome guy to talk to. I don't know. I've just he seems like a great dude. I could see that. Yeah, yeah. Matt, what about you? Probably Tom Hanks. Oh, okay. Okay. I feel. I feel, I, feel right. I feel like I just go up and hug him. Give him a volleyball. <laughs> he'd, he'd be okay with it. Just be like Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> it's like here's a pair of Nikes and a volleyball. And Dr. Pepper. Yeah. And Dr. Pepper, <laughs> yeah. I love it. For me, again, I'm going old school. I'm going to say Al Pacino. Oh. Al Pacino. Uh, Hoo-ha. Oh, yeah. I think he just, just the stories. Not only that, he just seems like the kind of guy that even if he wasn't an actor, would just have so many life stories. Oh, yeah. So many, it's like, like cool he just, to. yeah, exactly. Just the guy that you could go in, have a beer with, have a couple of pops. And just, even if he wasn't an actor, he'd be an awesome guy to talk with. So that's mine. I'm going Al Pacino. All right. All right. Question five. Um, If you had one question that, actually, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't know what I'm just going to go with them that. We're going to, we're going to reset here. Question five. um, If they had to title your life story. Right now, what would the title of your life story be? Oh, jeez. This is where the <laughs> silence falls over yeah. the room. <laughs> I, I, I can tell you mine. My, my story would be, my life bio, or my life picture would be just um, short, little Italian. That's it. Short little Italian. I think I've heard that. I've heard that so many times, and it's just I don't know exactly what it means, but just um, just the life of the short little Italian. That's for that's for me. It'd be short, simple. Just talk about how I always had to. Not that I'm super super short. I mean, I'm five six, um, but just the fact that I had to uh, you know play bigger than I was on the soccer field, play bigger than I was in any sport was over always um, uh, overlooked. Um, and, uh, you know, underappreciated, but after you, whatever, whatever the sport we played against, whatever, uh, competition we had, um, you might not have had the respect for me coming into it, but you would have the respect for it. Win or lose, win or lose, you would have the respect for me afterwards. So mine's going to be the, uh, the short little Italian. 
<laughs> what about you guys? Oh, your 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 I'm, bio story. Please tell me you have one ready because I don't have one ready yet. <laughs> I feel like I should know this, but I really I, just don't. I don't know. Like I'd, I'd probably do something with water. Like I could go artsy with it and say like the ripple effect or something like that. I like that. I, I like that. Pretty, yeah, I think it sounds like something to see like an that art festival. Yeah, that was off the dome. I think I'm going to keep that. I'm going to go with the ripple the effect. The ripple effect? Yeah, yeah, just like how one little thing like accidentally going to rowing practice could change my life forever. The ripple effect. The, ripple. the Mike Schrader story. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mine. What, what, what could go wrong? What could go wrong? It should be what else could go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong? There's got to be a little story behind that. I don't like know. That. I'm just trying to think. I was like, I'm adopted. I had open heart surgery. Like, I don't know. My parents are divorced. It's just <laughs> like, bring it on. Like stomping out cleats. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, all right, all right. Before we end this episode, we got this. Yeah, it involves sports. Yeah. This involves sports. All right. I don't know if my girlfriend even knows this story, but uh, she probably does. But if not, you're going to be hearing. Can it. I tell it from a friend's perspective? <sighs> Let's hear it from the friend's perspective. Yeah, 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 Mike, yes, or yes, Matt, yeah. Matt, you can you can chime in if he's right or wrong. So I don't I don't know if you knew about this, but Matt Matt was a choir boy along with myself in high school. We sang in a choir outside of school. Ooh, really? Hold okay. on, we're a bass, soprano, altos. Uh, I was a soprano. I was a bass. soprano one. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. This guy's a tenor. Um. So we uh, we get to rehearsal one day, and uh, Matt, there's this girl that Matt and I both had a crush on at the time. This was like freshman, sophomore year of high school. And um, she was, she played soccer, and she was just clap like, is it clapping out your cleats, stomping out your cleats? She was, she was clapping. Clapping like, the cleats. Clapping yeah, the yeah, off. yeah, yeah, getting yeah. the dirt to get, off. To get, get the mud off. Yeah, and Matt, like, in a sudden rage of courage, was like, I'm going to go talk to her, you know, like, soccer, soccer. Like, he's going to go break the ice. And he goes up to her, and I don't know if you meant to say, like, hey, how's it going, or hey, you stomping out your cleats, but what came out was, hey, and, and the man just walked away. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, so I said, hey, so I was going to, in my head, I was like, I'm going to say, hey, so you clapping out those cleats? Because in some way, that was okay in the first place. But anyways, I'm like, so you clapping Nothing came out. And she turned around, she was like, what? And I was like, nothing, and I just walked away, and um, to her credit, she kept interested in me for the rest of the year. God bless her soul. But I never taught. I never got the courage to talk to her again. And I was like, she. P- and then I, I was working. I worked at Dick's Sporting Goods a couple years ago, and I was working there. And lo and behold, I'm working behind the service counter. Guess who comes in? Show up. She showed up. Oh wow! She was there, and I made eye contact with her. She made eye contact with me. Didn't say anything and i was like this girl probably like, thinks like something's wrong with me like a terrible ending to like a terrible old like early 2000s rom-com you know, I know. Yeah. it's like you see each other from across the room but you just don't acknowledge, don't each, acknowledge other. each other i'd love it <laughs> i love it that's fantastic and with that we're gonna end this episode uh mike thank you so much uh, for coming for out me. thanks for having um me. still down at west side rowing yes sir um fantastic good luck with that thank uh you. matt as always Thank you for helping me out with the show. Uh, we'll work on your uh, ladies' man and your romance uh, techniques. Next, next I got episode. a girlfriend who, who I love very much. I don't need that anymore. Did, did you use the same line on her to get her and she yeah, just responded better? No, thankfully. <laughs> I think that's why it worked out better. Just rehearsing it in his head. Like a, a mirror. I'm waiting for my next chance, so I'm telling like, hey, you should like play soccer so she can clap cleats out and I can just re- redeem myself. Well, thank you guys. Thank you guys for coming in. Um, again, Make sure you follow us on Facebook at Stories from the Sideline and um, on Instagram 
at Stories from the Sideline. Thank you guys for coming. Uh, We'll be back next week with more sports topics, more fun, and more guests. Thanks, everyone. See you guys next week. Okay, we all see celebrity stories on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, anywhere we can absorb information from every day. But what about the people in our hometowns who make the world go around but don't get any recognition for it? Hi, I'm Dan Torres, and my podcast, Your Average Ordinary, focuses on those people. Those people that have extraordinary lives, jobs, hobbies, talents that you may not even know about that you walk past on the street every day. Join me every Saturday as I'm joined with a new friend to talk about how their average ordinary life impacts so many others. And there's so much to talk about because there are so many different people. You like movies? We talk about that. You like acting? We talk about that a lot. You like video games? I'm always talking about video games. Join us every Saturday, Your Average Ordinary, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you can find.